Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. This is The Longest Shortest Time from WNYC. I'm Hillary Frank. At the end of every show, I ask you, the listeners, to tell me your stories of struggles in parenthood. And the thing that I probably hear about most, you know, more than childbirth or breastfeeding or sleep or work is friends, that that you don't know how to find them. Maybe you're the first of your friends to have kids and, and nobody gets you anymore. Or maybe you have friends with kids, but they all live far away and, and, and you can't get it together to talk to each other. Today's story is about two strangers who became friends under very unusual circumstances. Um, and we're going to be getting to that story in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about this thing we're doing, this really cool thing that can help you turn strangers into friends. So we made these things. They're called spark cards. They're basically just these little business cards um, that we got printed with our favorite quotes from the podcast. Um, they're all different. They're really colorful. They were designed by Katie Barcelona, the woman who designed my website. They look just beautiful. Um, if you order them, you get a pack of 10. And the idea is you take them with you to a mommy and me class or the park or a dad's meetup, you know, anywhere that parents are gathering and, and you give them to people as icebreakers. You know how you always go to the coffee shop and you see that other disheveled looking parent sitting across the way and, and you want to start up a conversation, but you don't know how? Well, these cards give you an excuse to do that. We did a batch of them a year ago, and people just loved them. Um, lots of healthcare professionals were using them too. Midwives, OBs, therapists, they, they would give them to their patients, you know, to make them feel less alone. And the best part is, of course, Spark cards are free. You just need to fill out a little form telling us where to send them, and they're yours. We have a limited number of these. 100 of them are already gone because they went to our newsletter subscribers who got first dibs. So get your order in now. You can sign up for Spark Cards and our newsletter if you want first dibs on our next cool thing that we do. Um, sign up for everything at our website, longestshortesttime.com. Okay, on to our story. Anna Keating is a listener who wrote to me. Um, she told me about her son, Clement. Clement is three now. But back when he was born, right after he came out, Anna was holding him all high on adrenaline, and suddenly Clement turned purple. His heart had stopped beating, which was a big shock to Anna because there was no sign during her pregnancy that anything was wrong. Anyway, they rushed Clement to the NICU, you know, the ICU for babies, to help stabilize him. And then on the second day there, the neonatologist listened to his heart and he said, oh, he has two small holes in his heart. This may sound alarming, but um, it turns out being born with a small hole in your heart is actually pretty common. The scientific term for what Clement had is a ventricular septal defect. Anyway, the doctor told Anna this is what Clement had. I was like, okay, what does that mean? 
uh, he's like, well, um, you know, it could be really serious. He could always be, you know, disabled, not able to play sports, have to have open heart surgery, or it could be mild and heal and he could have a normal life um, and go home with him and just kind of see what happens <laughs> um, and make sure he doesn't stop breathing. And so like, did you have to be, did you have to take turns being on duty to make sure he didn't stop breathing in his sleep? Yeah. And, um, you know, you have people coming over to see the baby and every, you're like kind of hosting people and stuff. And meanwhile, you're also in this fight or flight, you know, 24 seven kind of a thing, um, where he wasn't, you know, the strongest baby. We knew that he was weak, but we didn't really know what we were supposed to be doing about that. Um, and so pretty much every hour on the hour, I would put him to the breast and try to get him to nurse. But what would happen was because of the holes in his heart, he was so weak that he would fall asleep. Like he would suck for, you know, two or three pulls and then fall asleep. And I would kind of shake his foot or tickle him or take all his clothes off and try to get him to eat again. And then just from the sheer exhaustion, he would fall asleep. And this was just crazy because it meant that he was always waking up hungry, crying. Um, he never slept for more than, you know, 20 minutes unless you were actively rocking him. But then when you would feed him, he would fall asleep immediately. We were just kind of going nuts, trying really hard to get this baby, you know, into some kind of a normal routine. Um, and then when we went to the one month checkup, he was way underweight and not doing well. Like how, what, what percentile was he in? He wasn't on the chart and I'd never seen this doctor before and I was really tired and I was hoping it was just going to be routine, you know? And the guy's like, your baby is failure to thrive. <laughs> and I just remember feeling so horrible about myself because literally I had done nothing else but feed this baby for a month round the clock. And he was basically telling me that he was starving you know, that he was way under his birth weight and he was really lethargic. A lot of people had told me that, oh, his color doesn't look good and he doesn't look good. But, you know, you feel protective of your child. You're like, he's fine. You know, give him time. He's going to get there. And so that doctor recommended that we go and start supplementing all his feedings with formula. Which Anna did. Um, but the formula gave Clement acid reflux. So he was just spitting it up all the time. So she tried to keep up with breastfeeding, too. The lactation consultants at the hospital told her to pump after every single time that she fed him. And remember, that was every hour. Um, and this was to try to get her supply up. But it didn't work. She'd barely get any milk. So she just wound up in this crazy cycle of trying to breastfeed, then trying to pump, and then trying to feed formula. And then on top of all of it, even after not getting any milk out of it, washing all of the pump parts and bottles by hand because she didn't have a dishwasher. And so basically by four months, I was so tired that I was hallucinating. Like when I would try to sleep, I would hear things like sirens or babies crying. It's like you lay your head down on the pillow and you close your eyes and you see dinosaurs, like a running, rampaging T-Rex. <laughs> or you hear a phone ringing, but you know the phone's not ringing. It was scary to feel out of control, like like you could not settle your body down. Like even if somebody took the baby, like my husband would take the baby and go to Starbucks and he would say, just take a nap and you couldn't sleep. 
On top of everything, Anna had misplaced a medical form, so their insurance was refusing to pay over $80,000 in medical bills. So she was afraid of medical bankruptcy. Plus, um, a tree had fallen on their roof in the middle of the night. So there was a lot going on. Anna quit her job as a high school English teacher to try to pull her life together and focus all of her attention on helping Clement to get better. She was taking him to doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment saying, what is going on? You know, what can I do? They weren't really that helpful. Um, They would just say, try a different kind of formula or, you know, I felt like everybody was grasping at straws. I just thought this is a baby who back in the day might not have made it, you know? Even a lactation consultant at one point told me I was crying during our meeting and she told me, well, maybe you'll be able to nurse your next baby. And I thought, wow, if a lactation consultant is telling you that she's out of ideas, you know, that was kind of sobering. I felt really alone, like nobody knows what to do. And so I sent this crazy email out to everyone I knew who was lactating or might know someone who was lactating. (laughs) And I just said, my son is having a really hard time eating. And I was wondering if any of you would be willing to pump some breast milk for me to give to him to see if he would take it. The email went out to around 15 people. Nobody said yes. You know, everyone had jobs, families of their own. One person said maybe she'd do it, but she ate a lot of garlic. Anna wasn't sure what to make of that. And then Anna got an email from a stranger, a neighbor of one of her friends. And she had just moved to town and her name was Tara. And the email was really awesome because I'd never received an email like it before or since because she just basically told me her life story. Tara was like an open book. She's like, I got married at 22. I'm 28 now. I was celibate before marriage. So you don't have to worry about any STDs. That's embarrassing. Okay. My name is Tara, and this was my email response to Anna's request for breast milk for her son, Clement. Okay. I'll continue on. I've never contracted HIV or AIDS. I've never drank alcohol, coffee, nor smoked. I exercise four to five times a week. I believe in God, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's another way of saying she's Mormon. I eat mostly sprouted grains and linguines. I drink mostly almond milk. I eat five to six servings of vegetables, half or more fresh. I eat nuts, mostly raw. I eat sweets, mostly in moderation, but I try to make them myself. In moderation or a few times a week, I eat chicken, eggs, butter, corn chips, tortilla chips, pretzels, graham crackers. I try really hard to not eat or eat sparingly high fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated oils, refined flour and corn products, soda, and pork. Wow, you can tell that I kind of really wanted to sell myself on this one, I think. <laughs> More on why Tara really, really wanted the gig of pumping for Clement when she already had three kids of her own to take care of in a minute. Moms, if you live in the New York area, we've got an event coming up just for you. Speed Dating for Mom Friends. This is your chance to meet some moms you really click with. It's happening at the Bell House in Brooklyn on Wednesday, October 22nd at 7 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. You can get them at longestshortesttime.com in the soon section. And if you're bummed that you have to miss out on this because you don't live in New York... Make a meetup of your own in your hometown. 
Our listeners are getting together all over the country. There's even one in London. We've gone international. Click on the meetups map at our website to find a meetup near you or make your own. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. So um, as you heard, Tara answers Anna's email in great detail. On top of the stuff about her sex life and eating habits, Tara talks about how her first baby also had nursing issues, so she can relate to Anna. And she also talks about her family's bowel movements. She says they poop a lot due to what she feeds them. In all fairness, Tara's interest in nutrition is partly professional. She used to be a personal trainer. Anyway, Anna was a little taken aback by how forward Tara was, but also kind of charmed and desperate. So she said, yeah, come on over tomorrow so we can meet. Tara just like kind of barged into my house with her three crazy kids and my little kids wanted to wander everywhere. And I was like, come back, kids, come back and trying to talk to her. And I said, okay, you know, you live three or four blocks from me. I can come over. Let me know when's a good time and I'll pick up the milk. And, and she was like, no, I'm taking my daughter to kindergarten and it's near your house. I'll deliver it every single morning. That night after I met her, we went home and I pumped after Julie. And it was, and it was really like, I really feel like that it was God's hand in that because I'll, I pumped a lot more milk than I'd ever pumped in my in my life after a feeding too. And the very first day she brought it, you know, still warm. She's like, I kept it warm in my coat. Right inside my shirt, by my heart, inside my coat. You know, it's like, I kind of felt like a drug dealer a little bit. I was like, hey, Anna, open the door. I've got, I've got this milk. <laughs> you know? And he just slurped it down. I'd never seen him eat so well. This is, so this is, I don't know the answer to this question. Is that legal? Um, no. So I'd done some research beforehand. It's actually illegal to nurse um, someone else's baby or to pump breast milk for someone else's baby in the state of Indiana, where we were living at the time. It's kind of a crazy law. I think it has to do with the small chance of the spread of HIV, which of course you can know if someone is HIV positive, but it's still illegal. <laughs> What's legal in motherhood? Tell me that. Like, I just, I just really didn't think about the illegal aspect of it. It's interesting with your, with your very um, strong morals that, that that's how you feel about it. It is, isn't it? It's like sometimes life demands it. Sometimes life taking care of a human soul or a human person just requires that, I mean, we just can't always live in this neat little box all the time. Okay. So after talking to Anna and Tara, I looked into this and it turns out that sharing breast milk is in no way, like at all illegal. <laughs> you know, sure. It's, it's frowned upon by lactation consultants for safety reasons. They would prefer that sick babies get their milk from milk banks and Anna had interpreted her lactation consultants frowning as an actual law. Her best guess as to why she jumped straight to illegal is that her brain was fried at the time. Remember, she was seeing dinosaurs, which means Anna and Tara met entirely because Anna was kind of losing it. And Anna says if she'd met Tara the usual way that moms meet, you know, at the park or a class or something, she wouldn't have thought of her as obvious friend material. She's totally different from me. Um, she doesn't watch movies that are, you know, rated R. You know, all my friends were talking about whatever new TV show they were into, like The Wire or something, I think was big at the time. 
And Tara was watching like uh, her box DVD set of the Cosby show, you know, and um, she doesn't cuss. So that was really funny because I'd never met anyone before who, who didn't cuss. So she has all these ways of getting around it where she'll say like, golly gee and darn it and what the hey and stuff like that. No, heavens no. I probably ought to clear the slate there. I do curse. I don't intentionally try to, but it comes up. Tara has her own list of ways she and Anna are different. You know, Anna's more intellectual, more fashionable. They're both religious, Anna's Catholic, but they actually saw this as a huge difference because before they met, Anna had never had a Mormon friend and Tara had never had a friend who wasn't Mormon. But Anna needed help and Tara likes to help. Tara put in a lot of time helping Anna's baby. She pumped for him three times a day. And he started getting better and slowly gaining weight. And I just started feeling like he was going to be okay. And then on top of it, I started getting better because I knew that there was somebody that I could call, you know. I think one of the things about Tara that was so refreshing and unusual is that everybody's so busy, you know. Everybody's important and everybody has work to do. And when you're home with a sick baby, you feel like you can't call even your best friend because she's at work, you know. And you don't really have anything to say except for this really sucks, you know. <laughs> so you don't want to bother people, even people who love you, you know. They just feel like they're in this other world that you're not in anymore, you know, of achieving things and being busy and being important. And Tara made you feel like she had nothing else to do, like you were her top priority. Like it wasn't just the milk. I started calling her in the middle of the day, you know, almost every day just to talk to somebody. And she would always pick up, you know, and she just always made you feel like you weren't putting her out. Like she'd love to talk to you. Like, oh no, I have nothing else to do. I'm just in the grocery store with three kids. You know, like, of course she was really busy <laughs> and like had a life and didn't know me, but she just gave you that feeling of like, you're my top priority. And like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I can remember one night she called me and she said, Tara, he's drinking the formula with the breast milk. And we both cried over it. We were very ecstatic that that was happening. Why did you do it? I just, I, I, I just love people. I just wanted to help. I've, I've always wanted to help. I think everybody wants to make life better. I think everybody wants to make the world better and there's so much that we can do just by grassroots reaching out to people. And I've always had a genuine love for people. I think that's one of our divine God-given gifts, you know. Sure. But but like also you had three children. One of them was a baby. <laughs> you know, they're all small. The, just how did you have the energy to provide for someone else's child? I don't know. I honestly, I honestly don't know because... Every child, I get postpartum anxiety really bad. It, it, it kind of can mirror postpartum depression. And the first couple months that we lived here was really hard for me. You don't know anybody. You don't know the place. And I felt like, man, who would want to be my friend? You know, and I can't even keep these little kids around me. I can't even keep them, like, well-behaved in public. Like I'm expecting this of a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a six-month-old, you know? And I'm like, who, and I, I must be like a zoo. I must be chaotic and I must be crazy. Who would, who would want me as a friend? And Anna thought that I had this bubbly, sunshiny personality. And Anna has a way about her of being inviting, even when she's 
maybe not feeling the best. And um, she strengthened me as well. After a while, Tara started to worry. Her daughter, who was a little older than Clement, was pretty much entirely weaned. She was sleeping through the night, you know, not needing to eat in the middle of the night, which was great. But it also meant that Tara's milk supply was dwindling. She wanted to keep pumping for Anna, but she was also exhausted. She was trying to figure out how to break it to Anna. In the meantime, Anna took Clement for a checkup with his heart doctor. And I just had this feeling that he was doing so much better. He was gaining weight. He was happier. He just, I don't know. There was just that light in his eyes. I felt like we were turning a corner. Um, But I didn't want to hope too much in case that wasn't, because every time I'd gone to the doctor, it had been bad news. So the doctors had been leading you to believe that you were going to need this surgery. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was talking about, you know, flying down and everybody was just, you know, assuming that that's where this was going. And so we went into the neonatologist, super nervous to kind of do the consult, the pre-surgery consult and to do an ultrasound on his heart and take a look at the holes. And, um, the guy came into the office and he was like, there are no holes in your son's heart. (laughs) Wow. It was amazing. I was just so happy. I was thanking everyone in the office. I was like thanking the doctor and thanking the nurses. Like, thank you so much. Like, we're so grateful. And they're like, we didn't do anything. You know, like, I don't know what happened. He just healed. Anna thinks she knows what saved Clement. She thinks it was Tara. Tara doesn't feel comfortable taking all that credit and thinks a lot of it was, as she says, God's plan. The scientific truth is um, for a lot of babies who have holes in their heart, the holes just close up spontaneously before they turn a year old. It has to do with the heart growing and, and the heart fibers growing and the holes just kind of closing up because everything around it is growing. But the story that Anna tells herself, that she was breaking the law with her magical Mormon neighbor who saved her kid's life is way more exciting. And it's the story that helped her to heal, to feel like a mom and not just a hallucinating ball of nerves. When he was sick at the beginning, I was really afraid that we wouldn't bond. That was one of my biggest fears, you know, because he was so fussy and I couldn't comfort him. But now it's so funny because he's like, is it possible to be too bonded? Like he climbs and like covers himself with my hair and he's always wanting to kiss. And like I dropped him off at preschool this morning and you know how you make a heart with your hands? Mm -hmm. He's like, mom, can we kiss through the heart? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) you know, like, like to the point where people in public will like stare, you know, like that little boy is like really into his mom. Anna and Tara have both moved out of Indiana since they first met. Anna lives in Colorado. Tara's in Kansas. They've each had another baby, too. Everyone is healthy. Something I've got to say here, um, as amazing as Anna and Tara's friendship is, lactation consultants, like I said, do not encourage informal milk sharing. We've got info on human milk banks at our website. That said, I talked to lots of moms about problems with nursing, and I know that a ton of you have either shared your milk or received someone else's milk in informal situations. And we want to hear your stories. Tell us at longestshortesttime.com in the comments on this episode. That's episode number 39. (music) 
This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. The show is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff. Jim Briggs is our engineer. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon, Peter Clowney, Fanny Cohen, and lactation consultant Nancy Holtzman. If you are feeling jealous of Tara and Anna's friendship, you want to find a friend like that, let me remind you, we are doing actual things to help you. You can order spark cards from us. You can go to our speed dating event. If these things matter to you, please do this for us. Go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast. Even if that's not how you listen to the show, go there and subscribe. While you're there, write us a review. The subscribing, the reviewing, these things help keep our show and all the extra cool things we do going strong. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at 3 a.m. Actually, um, if you want to get that link earlier, six hours earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern, all you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. The sign-up form is at our website. From here on out, newsletter subscribers get to hear the podcast before everybody else. And as always, if you have a story of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.